Welcome to episode 43 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hello, thank you for listening today. I am your host, Eric Gall. I am a coach who supports families and leaders to create the life that they would like to create and create the business that they would like to create. All really focused around the developmental disability uh, community. Now, in episode 42, I mentioned thinking about ways for those of you who are interested in contributing to the podcast, uh, just some ideas around a model that um, I'm thinking about to allow you to contribute. Um, So I'm continuing to think about that, and I'll let you know in future episodes how you can contribute if you would like to, and if you're able to. Um, This platform will always remain open and accessible uh, to everybody, Um, so I'm not going to put up any walls or barriers for you to consume this content if you're getting value from it. Uh, okay, so on to today's guest. Today's guest is Nick Maisie. Uh, Nick resides out of Perth, Australia. Uh, he is an occupational therapist, a social entrepreneur, and a community builder. Uh, Nick has formed uh, or helped to form the organization called Befriend, and he went on this incredible social change fellowship uh, in late 2017, and he's going to share a little bit about that journey. And he was really in search of finding effective and innovative approaches to developing relationships and community connections. So excited to bring you today's guest, Nick. Hey, Nick, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Thanks so much, Eric. It's a pleasure to have you on, and we welcome Nick from uh, Perth, Australia, which is in Western Australia. Nick is a occupational therapist, social entrepreneur, and community builder. So, Nick, I would love just to give you the opportunity to tell the podcast audience a little bit about yourself and what really inspired you to take this super interesting and incredible path that that you're on. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, As you mentioned, I'm in Perth in Western Australia. This is my home. This is where I was born and where I grew up. Um, And my my family come from different parts of the world, though. So my my mum was actually born in India, and her family came over here when she was nine years old. And I guess uh, I've drawn a lot of inspiration from um, from lots of different members of my family. And I think uh, as I as I go through life, I, I feel lucky in that being quite reflective comes very naturally to me. And one thing that I that I seem to spend a lot of time reflecting on is the importance of relationships for living a happy, healthy life. And I know that I've had times where I haven't had that in my life, and I know a lot of people who have had times um, where they haven't had that in their own life. And the more I reflect on that myself and I speak with people about their experiences, it continues to reinforce the importance of really spending some of my my time and my energy exploring what we can all do together to build more connected societies. Awesome. And I'm just curious, as you mentioned, um, being a very reflective person, was there something 
within your childhood or your upbringing that really um, fostered that within you? I'm not too sure. I mean, I my mum's family are really quite religious. My my grandpa in particular, lots of memories of um, him and his his strong devotion to religion, and I believe a lot of his rituals and routines that are connected to his religion actually require him to spend a lot of time in quiet contemplation and reflection. So I imagine that that's been modelled to me in some stage, mm-hmm. but. It, was, it, was, it also became really important to me after I left school because I, I really did quite well at school academically, but I, I, at the same time, I still felt quite directionless and it really had no idea what the future might look like me or, or where I would thrive. And I, I started studying a course at university that um, really wasn't connecting with me and it was a, a challenging couple of years asking myself lots of questions about what I was doing with my life and um, why I had chosen this particular path and, and what might be a different path for myself and, and really doing a little bit of exploration and discovery. Mm. Yeah, it's so important. I think that often we can get stuck on a path that maybe we're not happy with, but we don't take the time to slow down and reflect upon, you know, what might be leading to that and what might different paths or different alternatives be. And being the reflective person that you are, um, you just from from reading a bit of information online in a previous conversation with you, Nick, um, I know that um, you received a, an email from a young man that uh, really helped to, to set you down the path that you're on with with Befriend. And I'm sure it, it took a bit of reflection to before you acted on on that email. I was wondering if you could share that story with the audience. Sure. So I was an occupational therapy student at the time and an email that appeared in my inbox um, that was forwarded on from our fieldwork coordinator was one from a young man named Tim. Tim's email said something along the lines of, "Um, I'm a 23-year-old guy, I like watching movies uh, and going to the beach, I'm keen to learn how to surf, I don't have any friends, I'm wondering if there's anyone interested in getting to know me. So for for me, there was I think there was something just really quite simple and honest about his words that resonated with me. And I went and met him, and I got to know him. And he he's one person, one important person in my life that's taught me um, so much about inclusion uh, and what it what it means to to live um, uh, a meaningful, fulfilling life connected with others. And it was through my experience meeting him, um, someone who you know, really um, reported that he didn't have a, a single person that he would call a friend, um, that really, really struck me. And that was probably quite a strong moment that prompted a lot of reflection for me about how we could, we could be living in societies in which we're in such close physical proximity to each other, yet there could be someone just living streets away from me um, that felt like they did not have a single person in the world who they could call a friend. And that, my understanding is that led to the creation of Befriend. Is that, is that how things progressed? Yeah, in, in, in a way. Um, it, it 
it really led to a series of conversations with um, myself and a, a group of others who were simply quite interested in, um, in, in talking about relationships and how important they are for, for all of us in our life. And our conversations moved to action at some point. So we, we launched As Befriend back in 2010 with an intention to foster a more inclusive, connected society. It was really from my experience with Tim and, and also others that I spoke with that became very attuned to the fact that for, for many of us, the experience of isolation, loneliness has so much to do with being excluded and, and so much to do with the attitudes that exist within communities that can sometimes serve to um, exclude or to leave out people who are a little bit different, who don't always fit the social norms and um, don't fit this I- ideal normal of uh, that, that so many people seek to have around them. So for us with Befriend, it's, it's been really important not only to foster uh, the development of new relationships between people, but it's also been really important too to foster a more inclusive culture. So really supporting people to uh, supporting all of us to challenge our own attitudes and prejudices, our preconceived notions that we might have about others who are from different backgrounds to our own, uh, and to develop more openness in in our mind and in our heart to be really truly welcoming of of all people. I love that and. Um, the stats are showing that people with disabilities uh, are faced with that isolation and are being faced with loneliness. And um, that obviously has uh, very serious health impacts. So uh, the big question that's, that's coming to my mind, Nick is, is how are you doing that? Um, We we have a a range of uh, different approaches that we've been testing over the last seven, eight years, but Really, a lot, of, a lot of it for us is um, it's about simplicity. Um, we take a community-building approach, which means we really like to walk alongside local residents who might have an interest in finding a way to bring together people in their local area around an interest or a passion of their own. Um, and once we've sought out these residents, these local residents, we, we support them with the, the knowledge and the confidence, the skills, the tools um, to start to bring to life these types of small social gatherings and groups that will, that will bring together um, people from different backgrounds and foster the development of new relationships. We also try to work um, quite proactively in partnership with um, organisations and networks of people who may be at high risk of being isolated or lonely or may find that they are um, quite um, earnestly seeking opportunities um, within their local community to meet others and to form new new friendships and new connections um, and to, to really just act as a bit of a, an intermediary facilitating some of those introductions and connections. Um, so on the whole, for us, that essentially looks like a social network. Um, so in Perth, we now have about uh, 50, 50 or so small social gatherings that are happening every month um, across our city that are bringing together people from all different backgrounds, different walks of life around shared interests um, as a really simple way for people to meet others in their local community, um, to learn more about their neighbours, to learn more about themselves, to discover new interests and to forge new relationships. Mm. And thank you for sharing that, Nick. And 
the model that comes to mind that I'm familiar with is the concept of like a meetup. Do you have that type of a, a concept in Australia that you know of? Yeah, so we're quite familiar with Meetup. So Meetup is, I believe Meetup is a really great platform for um, any individual who's looking to start up a, 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 some type of group to connect people around a shared interest. Um, and it's a platform that we've been using ourselves as a key channel to, to reaching lots of new people. Um, I would say the Bifriend network is in some ways similar to Meetup. I would just say that we're a little bit more intentional around our values base. Um, so we do a few things a little bit more proactively. And one of those things is the way in which we um, engage with local residents to really nurture that inclusive values base within the people who are starting up and hosting these gatherings um, and really supporting them to really explore different ways that they can welcome and include people from all sorts of different backgrounds, different abilities, different walks of life, different life experiences, because we really believe that those hosts have such a strong influencing role over, over the group. Mm-hmm. And the other way in which we work quite proactively is with is in partnership with these community organisations um, because we recognise that even platforms like Meetup, as great as they are, they're things that may not they may not simply be in the the consciousness of um, a lot of um, families or individuals, um, community organisations that are supporting some of the most isolated and vulnerable people in our communities. Um, so we believe it's important to um, be able to build those bridges um, with those groups and networks too. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I love that. That For me, that just helps to solidify and understand the the model that you've that you've built so thank you for for sharing that um i guess looking forward with befriend uh what's what's your vision do you do you envision taking it to um other parts of australia other parts of the world can can listeners do that with with what the stage you're at now uh to be honest i have mixed feelings about that eric i i I, i'm quite a strong believer in people within local communities really being the drivers of change within their own community so it doesn't fit so comfortably for me to want to be having the befriend name um spread everywhere because um it's something that i feel could actually undermine the the power of people within other communities um to affect that change for themselves um, what what I've actually been spending a little bit more time thinking about more recently is is how we can um, not not necessarily package up a, the befriend model and make that available to people elsewhere, but really how we can um, find really effective ways of being able to share um, some of the, the the learnings and the insights from our work. Um, and make that available to people in other areas so that if people are looking to um, take um, some type of community building approach um, to reduce isolation or loneliness within their local community, um, then they can they can draw upon our, our knowledge and our insights and our learnings, and they can use that to inform whatever type of initiative they might like to run forward with themselves. Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. I love that. Is there somewhere that, that folks could go online to to start to read about those learnings or insights is something like that available? Well, not, not just yet. We haven't actually reached a point where we've been able to spend a lot of time documenting that sort of content. Um, But in the meantime, people are welcome to follow us 
via uh, Befriend on Facebook or befriend.org.au and subscribe to our mailing list. Um, and as things continue to evolve and develop in the future, um, those, those would be the best channels to keep an eye on. Okay, excellent. I'll, I'll include those links in the blog and in the show notes so that they're more easily accessible to, uh, to folks. So let's switch gears, um, Nick. I'd love for you to share a little bit about the amazing journey that you went on in 2017 with your social change fellowship. Um, maybe I'm just going to hand the mic over to you and if you could share uh, a little bit about what that was and, and the purpose of it for you. Sure. Um, well, I feel so incredibly privileged. I've been really fortunate to have this really um, enriching experience over the last few months. Through my work with Befriend, um, last year I was awarded a Social Change Fellowship, which is essentially a scholarship, um, and it's administered by one of our large banks in Australia. This is the Westpac. They have the Bicentennial Foundation. So through these Social Change Fellowships, they support 10 Australians each year to undertake um, some type of self-development de- self, uh, experience that is intended to support their own personal and professional development um, to further enrich the work that they're doing within a, a particular social venture um, to further support the health and well-being of, of Australians now and into the future. So for me, that meant that my, my scholarship um, supported me to undertake a three-month international self-directed uh, learning tour. So I, I, I defined a couple of key learning areas that I wanted to, to focus on in order to build my own knowledge and my, my networks um, within the, the, the type of work that I do um, to, to put that uh, knowledge back into the work that we're doing with, um, within Befriend and, and really see how I can draw upon some of the work that others are doing who have a, a shared passion for building more inclusive, connected communities. Yeah, wow. What an incredible opportunity. So what were those um, areas of learning that you were really looking to, to deepen uh, I guess question one and and question two. What did that path look like? Like where in the world? What 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 did your what did your flight path look like? Sure. So I, I defined two key areas of focus that I was interested in. The first one was how how can we foster or what, what are some effective approaches for fostering the development of natural relationships. And I guess I was particularly interested in how to support the development of relationships for people who have had a lived experience of being really quite isolated or feeling disconnected or devalued within their community. Uh, My second key area of focus was um, what are effective approaches for fostering more inclusive attitudes, behaviours and values within communities. So uh, my intention by having those two areas of focus was was really to be looking at um, a combination of initiatives that would be looking at fostering greater greater sense of connectedness at a at a person to person level, um, but also those that were affecting change at a broader community level as well, and had a real intention around fostering um, a, a sense of inclusivity. Mm. And the the planning of my trip was. Uh, 
it was a, certainly a challenge. It was, the, the openness and flexibility of the scholarship um, is both one of the best things about it and one of the most challenging things. So I had um, complete control over shaping the fellowship experience and where it took me. I found it um, extremely useful talking with some some people that I was connected with in Australia about, um, who had spent time in various different parts of the world about um, where where I should go and who I should meet with and and what should I see based on these these areas of focus and I was so lucky to have so many wonderful introductions made on my behalf and many of those introductions ended up forming the basis for my plan. So over 12 weeks, I ended up visiting 58 different initiatives across 14 different locations in Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Canada, England, Scotland, and Denmark. So I really covered a lot of ground um, and certainly made the most of that opportunity. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. And those... uh areas you were looking to really discover, be curious and, and learn in terms of effective approaches for building um, natural relationships and and uh, effective approaches towards building inclusive attitudes are obviously of interest to, to listeners of the podcast in, in the disability community, but really those are, those are things that are important for everybody in, in our own experience, lived experience and, and the human experience. So, um, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by those questions and, um, I'm also interested in those as well. So I, I'm curious and, I, these might be big questions and take us down some rabbit holes, but I guess starting with the first one in terms of effective approaches for building natural relationships, sitting back in your chair now, is there, is there any, any insights or, or any, conclusions that you've come to in, in terms of what would be the most effective or or maybe there's a handful of uh, effective approaches to building natural relationships that that you really stand behind now yeah look to be honest it's it's been a real challenge for me actually analyzing and trying to draw some really strong conclusions from such a diverse set of experiences. I, I reached a point late in my fellowship where I realized that I was having some really confusing experiences of perhaps spending a morning with one initiative and spending an afternoon with a completely different organization and getting to the end of the day and thinking, how on earth have I found myself visiting these two organizations in the same day? What what <laughs> What is the connection here? Right. Um, there must, there must be, there must be some, there must be some method to my madness. There must be, there must be some, some sense to to why I'm, I've sought out to visit these different types of initiatives. And that point of uh, utter confusion actually prompted me to do um, a very strange mapping exercise where. I listed out and drew out all of these different initiatives on a on a large piece of paper, and I real I tried to group them um, based on those that had uh, a really strong intention around my first 
area of focus, so a strong intention around fostering a greater sense of connectedness or fostering new relationships. And then I mapped out all of those that had a strong intention around fostering more inclusive attitudes within communities. And then I really looked at the space between. So I spent a lot of time um, really thinking quite deeply about which of these initiatives were deeply interested in both of those things. So within the work that they were doing, they were trying to support the development of new relationships, but they were also interested in fostering more inclusive attitudes within communities. And interestingly enough, um, there were quite a, quite a few initiatives that fell either side of that. So some that perhaps had a really strong focus on supporting new relationships, but um, fostering inclusive attitudes wasn't, wasn't on their radar, so to speak, um, and vice versa. So to me, I actually became really interested in this handful of, of initiatives that sat somewhere in between that were really working to, to achieve, both of, uh, achieve goals in both of those areas. And when I tried to analyze the the initiatives that were in that space in between, um, there was an interesting theme that seemed to emerge, and that was the theme of valued contributions. There seemed to be something about these initiatives that was particularly focused on creating some type of a platform for individuals, perhaps individuals who might may have been historically devalued, um, to be making some type of a contribution that they were intrinsically motivated um, and desired to give to others, and do that in such a context that it would be that that contribution would be valued upon receipt. So that included all kinds of different um, approaches from initiatives that were operating different sort of um, time banking or skill exchange mechanisms, um, different dinners that would bring together people from different uh, cultural and ethnic backgrounds, um, um, interfaith initiatives that looked at how people from different faith-based groups um, could be enhanced, could be sharing um, their their own knowledge and beliefs about God and, and faith, and and how they could be sharing that with others from different faith-based backgrounds in in order to enrich um, their collective um, sense of faith. Um, and even neighbourhood development projects that would really look at how they could bring together a group of citizens to um, mobilise the various different skills and resources that they would have at their disposal and find unique roles for each resident within that group um, to work towards some sort of a a common goal. Hmm. I love that. Uh, A couple of questions that came to mind for me as you were speaking there nick could you give us an example of the dichotomy of the of a, of a, a day where you know in the morning you met with one group and in the afternoon you met with another group and and you're sitting there at the end of the day reflecting and like how did i visit both of these two groups in, in the same day can you give us a an example of of that experience just i'm, I'm just curious Oh, well, I had, I think I had one day when I was in London when I spent half a day with um, a group called Spice. So they run a time banking initiative um, that actually uses time credits. And so they, they work in partnership with community organizations who seek volunteers to assist with the running of their operations. Um, and then they, they 
assist those community organisations um, to break down those different volunteer roles and structure them in such a way that people can earn um, a single time credit for every hour they spend volunteering. And then later that day, I spent time with the Supported Loving Network, which is um, an initiative hosted by Claire Bates that is particularly interested in bringing together um, people with uh, intellectual disabilities to have um, conversations and to run workshops to, to learn from each other um, and to really in order to generate a lot of excitement about love, sex and intimate relationships for people with intellectual disabilities um, when for so many of those individuals um, in that part of London that has that has not at all even been a remote possibility in the minds of either themselves or the people around them, yet it is something so deeply important for who they are as people. Right. And, and at the end of that day, what, what, how did you, how did you, I guess, <laughs> reconcile those experiences in your mind? Yeah, I'm like, oh, time banking to sex and relationships all in one day. It's a, it's a lot to take in, especially when it's, it's also very human. There, it's, you know, all of these experiences are just riddled with many enriching series of conversations with people that are talking about things that really matter to them in life. Um, I think that I, trying to be as disciplined as I could, I would, when I, whenever I felt like I was getting too lost um, and confused as to what I was doing, I would have to bring myself back to my two areas of focus that I defined and and, and see if I could make sense of these experiences um, on those terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, like I don't, I don't profess to have, have, have all of, found all of the answers just yet. I mean, having visited 58 initiatives in such a short span of time, I, I still know that I've got lots more processing to do and that will come yeah. uh, just through more conversations that I have it, yeah and your subconscious mind is still probably processing all of those experiences when you wake up one morning you're like oh yeah okay that makes sense look I really enjoyed actually spending time writing about these experiences too so I um, I, I did start writing a bit of a blog more so for myself if I'm being honest in the in the early stages of the fellowship as a, as a as a tool for to, to really prompt my own reflection um, but uh, it turns out that some of the things that I was interested in others were interested in too so some of the pieces that I've been writing have led to um, some really great discussions and I'm so grateful for the people that I've taken the time and the interest to read some of those things and um, yeah, make contact with me to have further conversations with them um, afterwards because that's, yeah, it's really helpful for me too. Yeah. And I love it. Excellent. I, I will share a link to your blog, Nick, and uh, there's some fantastic content in there and I've thoroughly enjoyed reading your reflections and you do talk about valued contributions uh, within within your content and specifically within one blog there as well if folks want to hear more from from you on on uh unvalued contribution um i i love how you tried to make sense of it all where you created that mind map and looked at you know how to what are effective approaches at forming human connection and, and natural relationships and what are effective approaches to inclusive attitudes and, and creating inclusive culture and looking at the space in between if perhaps if people have perhaps been spending a lot of their time focused on on one of those two areas of 
of interest of mine. Um, I'm hoping that this is just a, a different way of bringing light to the fact that we can actually be looking at both of those things at the same time um, and perhaps um, we can achieve far more by looking at those two things together than we can by looking at either of them alone. Right. So just a couple of questions that came up for me when, when reading through some of your blog content, uh, Nick. Along your your journey of your during your social um, change fellowship, um, were there any examples that really stood out to you uh, where these groups were really, in your in your opinion, or, or you know, from what you observed, from your observations, where these organizations or or groups of people were were really bringing community t- to life in maybe in an effective way? Yeah, I. I... It was, it was just overall, it was just a really humbling experience because of the sheer volume of people who um, are doing exactly what you just described. Um, and, and look, they weren't, they weren't even necessarily just the people who I had intended to visit as part of one of my fellowship um, hosts, if you will. Sometimes they were actually just the people that I'd met through Airbnb that I was staying with. And um, once I started talking with people about the things that I was interested in, it really just acted as such a beautiful conversation for um, allowing people to share um, the ways in which they are really enriching life in their little way, in their little part of the world. Um, look, I think I was really inspired by um, some really inspirational leadership that I saw from different three different faith-based communities in Omaha, in Nebraska. So there are so a, a Jewish, a Christian, and a Muslim community Um, that these three separate congregations have come together in the last 12 years, originally out of a a shared need for new venues or a new physical space for each of their respective congregations. But they've really wanted to use that, uh, that building project as a way to foster greater understanding um, with each other. Um, Their, they speak about having a real dissatisfaction for some of the things that they see happening at a national and at a global level and really thinking about what they can do within their own community to foster more understanding, um, to bring together people from different faith-based backgrounds who might not otherwise be spending a lot of time together in a particularly segregated place and think about how they can really intentionally Uh, teach in each other's spaces, how they can build a physical um, um, commons in the community where there can be these three different places of worship for their respective faith-based communities, but there can also be a fourth venue as well, a welcome centre that can really encourage people from the broader community to come in and learn more about faith and what that can offer to your life and really open their doors to each other and to the the broader community. And I I think I was, yeah, really, really inspired by spending time with the leaders of those three congregations and, and, you know, hearing about the challenging conversations that they've courageously initiated because of the deep belief that they have that our community is truly stronger when we have greater understanding of each other. And when we can find ways to work together on things that matter to all of us. Hmm. 
I love how the the need <clears throat> or desire for a a physical space for each of those groups has culminated in something that's much deeper in in terms of uh, understanding each other in creating uh, a shared inclusive space where where everyone's welcome. I just love how that kind of <clears throat> that physical or material thing um culminated in in something much more deeper and and meaningful definitely and what was interesting was that they the rabbi azrael he he made a comment about what he felt was the the building being a a tangible project he believed that there was something really important about that because he he talked um with a bit of disdain about how much time is spent now around diversity dialogues. He said something to the effect of, oh, I'm sick of dialogues. I think so many people are sick of dialogues about diversity and inclusion. Um, but what people need is these tangible ways that they can come together around things that matter to all of them and to build relationships and foster understanding through the experience of working on something together. Mm, yeah, so that that building created that opportunity to create mutual understanding and to create a, a common goal that everyone was working towards, even if they had different uh, origins or foundations of their faith. Yeah, exactly right. And um, he also made this interesting comment about how one of the common or one of the more common fears that was held by members of each of the respective congregations in the earlier days of these three relationships coming together um, was the fear that perhaps their own faith might be diluted, somehow diluted or weakened as a result of building these relationships um, and, and building understanding about other faiths. Um, but in fact, he said that it's really served to do quite the opposite. So in order to really engage in really good conversations with um, your new friends about your faith and why that's such an important part of your life, it's actually created an impetus for many members of these congregations to re-engage and reconnect with their faith and why that is important to them as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Cool. So something I think about how we don't have to dilute who we are by coming together as one. Right. Yeah. You're not going to lose who you are by learning about other people and, and their experiences. Um, hmm, that's super interesting. I love that. Just a couple more questions for you, for you, Nick. Um, along your, your journey, have you uh, observed what you think are key elements or key characteristics of a community builder? So, you know, you, uh, and when I say community builder, it could be, um, you know, an example, one of the leaders of the, the faith-based organizations or um, that, that's just as an, as an example of what I mean by a, um, a community builder. And I guess a community builder also doesn't need to be a person in, in a leadership position, but I'll hand that question over to you. That's a really good question. I don't know if I've spent enough time thinking really deeply about that. And thinking about specific individuals and their qualities, but there's certainly something quite strong there for me about how I believe a community builder is someone who has a fundamental belief 
that all people have innate gifts, all people have value and, and things to offer others. And I think that there's probably something like actually that being paired with quite strong organizational skills and the self-assuredness um, to be putting yourself out there, maybe making yourself a little bit vulnerable in how you become a facilitator of conversations, how you connect people and you make introductions, how you instigate conversations about things that really matter to you in your community and, and, and bring people together around those things that either matter to you or matter to them. I think that there's something um, that's uh, quite important in re supporting community builders in in recognizing what our own agendas might be and doing our best to set aside our own agenda to really be present with people, to be present with our neighbors and our friends and, and really listen, not, not, not listen with the intent to reply, but really listen to try and deeply understand people and what matters to them. And whatever path that follows from there um, around supporting the, that individual to be to become more active in affecting change in their own local community i believe has so much to do with um, tapping into what what that person believes is already great about that community um, and what they're motivated to what they're motivated to change mm. yeah so what i'm what i'm hearing from you nick is it really starts with that individual checking more so checking their ego and uh it not being about that them themselves but a, about being uh about the greater collective or the greater greater community and, and common good for for everyone and also that that individual holding uh a set of values and and really what what i what resonated with me with what you said there was um holding the the value or the belief that all people have value and a gift to provide others right yeah and and i think that that it sounds really simple but it's it actually is very much related to that comment about setting aside our own ego as well because if we're spending so much time trying to boost up our own ego and make the, the community-based initiative all about the success of an individual or all about the success of an organization or all about the success of a local government or a councillor, we're actually undermining all of the gifts that exist within all of the people who live within that community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's almost like saying that one gift is valued higher than another gift, right? So it's like thinking, well, my gifts are more important than than your gifts and they need to be known to everybody. It's saying that, no, everybody has their own gifts to give and, and those are all of value. I think you articulated that beautifully. Maybe I should be interviewing you next time. <laughs> I'm just pulling the insights here from, from you, Nick. So, <laughs> so this is a personal question for you. Um, so if, if you don't want to answer it, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm curious, how did this experience change you? The fellowship? Yeah. The first thing that springs to mind for me is that the fellowship really reignited my love of learning. I spend a lot of my day today, these days, 
doing uh, different types of functions within our organization. I'm, I do, you know, things that would probably be deemed as organizational development and business development and forging new partnerships. But the fellowship experience actually brought me right back to why I do what I do. It gave me three enriching months of having conversations that are directly aligned with my own passions. Again, really, it was such a privilege to be supported to have that type of experience. So it's really just reaffirmed for me why these things are important to me and why they're important for people in my community and why they're important for people in other communities all over the world. Um, so it's really made me think um, more deeply about how I can spend more more time in the future um, really investing in different parts of my day that enable me to um, really shine by focusing on that passion rather than getting stuck in the doing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure exactly what that will mean for me just yet, but um, I'll be yeah looking into different uh, different ways into the future in which I can continue to have these really enriching learning experiences. I think the other way in which it's probably affected me as well is is really just how humbling it is. We all of us that are passionate about affecting social change or part of so, some sort sort of social justice initiative, um, like anyone, can so easily become caught up in our own day to day. We can become so focused on what's in front of us right now and have a little bit of tunnel vision and really think that what we're doing today or this week is the be-all and the end-all. Um, but having had the privilege of meeting so many different people from so many different countries that are really genuinely working towards what I believe is a shared vision for a better world just actually helps me sleep a little bit easier at night. It makes me think, it makes me just really realize that I'm just one little guy and the little, the things that I'm doing are just a few little things in my little part of the world. And those things totally matter, but they matter no more or no less than all of the things that all of these other brilliant people are doing too. And so I'm, yeah, I'm inspired by all of the people that I've met along the way and the people that have been so gracious in hosting me and I want to continue maintaining those relationships as well as forging new ones with people in all different communities just to really feel like I am part of this global movement. Awesome. Thank you for, for sharing your, your experience and, and your reflections, Nick. As we close the podcast here, um, is there a, a message or an ask that you would like to ask of or, or leave with the listeners today? Well, I spoke before about one of my key insights about fostering a more inclusive, connected society really has so much to do with supporting people to make valued contributions. It can sound a little bit jargony, but I think that in simplest terms, um, I'll share with you an insight from a, a mother um, of a young man named Brent, um, who I met in Oshawa. She said to me what had been so powerful for her was um, I stopped thinking, what help does Brent need? And started thinking, how can Brent be helpful? Mm. What help does Brent need? And started thinking, how can he be helpful? 
And that I think that that is value contribution in really human terms. It's really focusing on each individual. It's bringing to life this belief that each individual does have innate gifts. Every individual does have such value that they can bring to the lives of others and that it's so much in our service-based world that we live in today. We focus first on what people need. But for her, this was really flipping that on its head and thinking how how can he be helpful? Um, what are his gifts and what are the things that he has to offer others and, and who will value those things? Where will those things be valued and how can we support him um, to build roles and to build a life around those contributions and how will relationships form as a result of that? Mm. So I guess my ask would be for all of us to just spend time thinking on not what not so much do we need or what do the people around us need, but how can we be helpful and how can the people around us be helpful, especially the people who may be at surface value, we think that their life should be a life of needs. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. What a beautiful way to, to end the podcast. And I love the the reframe or the, the shift in, in mindset around that. So thank you for, for sharing that. And just super grateful for you coming on the podcast today, Nick, and, and sharing the work that you're doing and the values that surround that and sharing your experience on the, on the social change fellowship journey that you went on uh, for those three months in, in 2017 and all the insights. Um, that you brought to the podcast today. So, so thank you very much. Just super grateful. Not at all. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your great questions and your, your, your curiosity. My pleasure. And, uh, I look forward to staying in touch and we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Okay. Thanks, Nick. A big thanks to Nick for coming on the podcast today and bringing his curiosity and reflections on building natural relationships and creating more inclusive societies and cultures. Um, I really encourage you to think about the relationships uh, that you're helping individuals build, whether it's a family member or a uh, people that you might serve as a as a supporter or an organization and to take Nick's key insight around valued roles and to think about how that's both helping to build relationships for that person and to create uh, a more of a sense of belonging for them in in their community um, there's some great resources out there for 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 that um, social role valorization, uh, a social theory, all based on building uh, positive roles in people's lives. I have a great podcast with Janet Cleese, uh, episode 26, if you're interested in, in checking that out, um, all about building natural relationships using roles, uh, as well, Al Condalusi talks about this uh, concept of building uh, relationships and valued roles in episode 41. So uh, those are a couple of resources that I have that you can check out, but there are many many more um also again big thanks to nick uh i recommend you check out his blog if you're interested in, on anything around building uh relationships and creating more inclusive communities uh nick's got some great content and he shares a lot of his reflections there on his blog so and thank you so much for listening to the podcast today uh if you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit please share it with them Uh, Be a part of the change to think differently about disability. 
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.